drive, they watch, they cheer, they leave, and they wait till next week. Followers, they practice every day. They learn, they take the hits, they sacrifice. This world is full of fans. Will you be more? Do you have what it takes to follow, to step onto the field? Let's do this. Well, hey, Heritage. Want to welcome all of you at each of our locations, our family at Bettendorf, those online, and all of you here at Rock Island to the kickoff of our Fan to Followers series. This is great timing for this because this is the time of year that many of us pull out our jerseys, pick our fantasy players, and start following our favorite team. And so I've got to do it. I've got to ask you, are you ready for some football? All right. Yeah. Yeah, some of you are totally excited and some of you could not care less. But whether you like football or not, there are plenty of ways to enjoy this season. But just out of curiosity, I'd like to gauge the number of football enthusiasts in our Heritage family. And so how many of you consider yourselves to be a football fan? And let me just say, you could be like a fanatic, total avid fan, or maybe just a more casual fan. Let's do it this way. If you're, if you're someone who, who will watch a football game without holding a lot of disdain in your heart or anything else above that, raise your hand. Each of our locations, get them up high if you're willing to watch a football game. All right, good. A lot of us are willing to do that. But let me just go deep real quick. Let me get personal. How many of you are Bears fans? Raise your hand. All right, Bettendorf, got your Bears fans' hands up. Okay, good, good. How many of you are Packers fans? All right, some Packers enthusiasts. How about some Bronco fans? I know there's some at Bettendorf. Broncos? All right. Okay, but then how many of you are fans of the only six-time Super Bowl champs, the Pittsburgh Steelers? I just want you to know that I'm going to be praying fervently for spiritual awakening for all the rest of you <laughs> during this series. Okay, I'm just kidding. Please don't be offended, and no need to send me emails on that. All right? Listen, whether you... Whether you know a lot about football or very little, one of the realities is that we all know the difference between a fan and a follower. We know there's a distinction between a fan and a follower. They're not the same. There's a difference between a fan and a follower. That's your first fill-in if you're following along in your sermon note guide. There's a difference between a fan and a follower. Between a what? Fan and a what? Come on, say fan. Say follower. All right, look, if you've ever been to a sporting event, it could be high school, could be college, could be peewees, you're able to spot them. You're able to tell the difference between a fan and a follower. And you don't need special training. It's not necessary. You have this innate ability to tell the difference between the two. Let me show you what I mean. Here's a picture of a couple of guys. Now, don't let the cheese heads fool you, but are these guys fans or followers? They're fans, yeah. They're fans. I mean, they're clearly supporters of the Packers, but they're just fans. But when you look at this guy, is he a fan or a follower? He's a follower, right. Man, he is all in, passionate. That's the frozen tundra man. He's a follower. And there is a difference between a fan and a follower. Now, here's another group. Look at these folks, okay? They're, uh, 
they're clearly supporters of the SRAB, or known as the Bears, okay? Are they, are they fans or followers? They're fans! They don't have a clue what they're doing. Their sign's upside down. They're just fans. How about this guy? Fan or follower? Yeah, he's a follower. He's all in. He is passionate. He's committed, fervent. He is a follower. And there's a difference. Now listen, I want to make sure I'm an equal opportunity offender here. And so here's a picture of another guy. He's a, he's a Steeler supporter. But is he a fan or follower? He's a fan. Fan, I have no idea what's hanging from his nose. But he doesn't have a clue either. He's just a fan. But how about these guys? They're followers. Yeah. Total passion. All in. Committed. They're followers. Look, there are all kinds of levels of sports fans out there. And there are some sports fans who are totally fanatical. That it impacts their life. It shapes what they do, what they talk about. And it can be seen in their haircuts to a tattoo. And there is a difference between a fan and a follower. Here's the last picture, one of my favorite pictures. What's this guy? Yeah, no, no, he's, he's just crazy. He's just crazy. He's not even at the game. He's not even at the game. He is just crazy. Look, look, I know we're making this surface judgment. We're judging on appearance. I get that. But listen, what happens externally can point to what's going on internally. That, that what we, how we behave can reflect what we believe and connect to our identity. That, that who we are is reflected in what we do. And, and this exercise, although fun, is just designed to help prime the pump for our fan-to-follower conversation. Fan-to-follower. Because the reality is that we can pretty easily identify the difference between a fan and a follower at a sporting event. But it's not always as easy in identifying a fan or a follower of Jesus. Not because it's actually harder, but more often because we don't know how. We don't know what we're looking for. Yet, there is a difference between a fan and a follower in the spiritual life. There's a difference. Now, that's why we as a church family are going to take some time to unpack the difference between someone who is just a fan and someone who is a follower. Because there is that difference. And so let's just take a moment. I want to lay out a few more differences, some comparison, con, com, com, compare and contrast realities. It'll just kind of form the foundation for our series and where we're going. So you've got a fan and you've got a follower. And, and a follower is somebody who's, somebody who's a contributor. They have a deep commitment. It's public and it's private. They engage for more than just the experience, engage for something bigger. They support. They're, they're, a, they're the 12th man, the 12th man. But a fan is more a consumer, Someone who pays lip service to the team, someone who, who engages for what they get from it, for, for entertainment purposes alone. And that positions them to also not just be consumers, but to just be admirers, where, where they're loosely loyal, where, where it's really more about them, as opposed to a follower who is an advocate, who, who is committed to as a proponent of the organization or a promoter of it, and it's about the team. So you have more of a me-me in the fan column and an us-and-we reality in the follower, follower column, which positions the follower to really live in an unconditional paradigm. It's an unconditional commitment and alignment. There's a heart issue. It's, it's, it's a shared heart experience, but positions the fan to be more circumstantial. 
It's limited. It's a circumstantial agreement. It's based on how things are going. There's an ebb and flow to it. When the team's doing really well, they wear the jersey. When the team's not doing well, they take the jersey off and hide it. That's circumstantial, which makes the fan and positions them to be more emotional, emotionally driven, where they can get ashamed, they can get frustrated easily. They speak poorly of their team often when things aren't going well. But the follower is passionate. There's a passion there. There is no shame. It doesn't matter whether it's going well or not. There's a love no matter that. There's no ebb and flow because there is a relationship for the follower. There's a relationship that's, that's driven, driven by love expressed in action. But in the fan column, it really looks more like a religion where it's about the minimum rules. What's the minimum? And, and the fan is positioned to want more from where the follower is positioned to want more for. And that's a very big difference. See, a fan will wear the jersey when things are going well, but when things don't go well, they take it off. But the follower, the follower never stops consistently identifying with his team. And there's a difference between a fan and a follower. Now, I want to caveat before we go too much further. I just want to be clear. I'm not, not seeking to question your loyalty to your team, nor endorse any particular team. I'm, I'm not even wanting to position us to judge those around us unless they're Detroit Lions fans. Then, no, never mind. We're not going there either. Now listen, this whole thing is not about a comparison for, for what others are doing and whether they're fans or followers. This is an invitation for us to examine ourselves. See, we can spot fans and followers at sporting events, but it's actually more important and sometimes more difficult to spot and identify a fan or follower when it comes to the things of God. And as the missionary and church planter Paul once wrote in 2 Corinthians, he talked about examining. He said, examine yourselves to see whether you're in the faith. Test yourselves. I mean, he said, see if your faith is genuine. He's basically saying, look, are you a fan or are you a follower? And we can spot the difference at sporting events, but we need to be able to know the difference when it comes to the things of God, of whether or not we're a fan or a follower. So, as a rhetorical question, are you more a fan or follower spiritually today? As you, as you look at this list and you walk down through the different components, do you, do you find yourself to be more a fan spiritually or a follower spiritually? It's important to know the difference. It, it, it's, it's important because fundamentally... God is looking for followers, not fans. God is looking for followers, not fans. He wants to be pursued, not simply studied. He wants to be chased, not just accepted. And it reminds me of what James, the little brother of Jesus, once talked about when he wrote uh, in the book of James. And, and let me just say, if, if you want to ever talk about the most, one of the most convincing proofs that Jesus was who he said he was, look at the life of James. See, James was the little brother of Jesus. And, and, and he lived a life that led him to be martyred, proclaiming, standing alongside, and identifying Jesus as Messiah, his older brother. So look, if I had no other proof about who Jesus was or what he did, if all I had was the life of James, that would be enough for me. Because I have an older brother. His name happens to be James. And to have a little brother 
live in a manner that cost him his life, proclaiming an identity of his older brother. That's significant. And if you today are struggling to, whether, to know whether or not you can embrace and understand Jesus as Jesus described himself, I encourage you to take some time and just consider the journey of his little brother, James. Because that tells me that Jesus was more than just an exceptional man and a prophet, just based on how James lived. But listen, it was James who actually wrote this in the second chapter of the book of James. He said, you say you have faith, for you believe that there is one God. <laughs> Good for you. <laughs> Even the demons believe this, and they tremble in terror. He's saying, look, you believe? No big deal. No big deal. It, to believe that God exists is not exceptional. It, it's just entry level. It doesn't even qualify you for being a fan, let alone a follower, automatically. It, it would be like sitting in the stands at a football game and thinking that automatically makes us a follower. But there is a difference between being a fan and a follower. And God is looking for followers, not fans. Not just to believe but to obey. And when it comes to the things of God, I wonder if you are more a fan or more a follower. See, a fan is one thing. A, a, a fan, and we've looked at a few pictures of a couple of fans. A fan is one thing. But a, a follower, well, that's another thing. It's very different. There's more passion, there's more commitment in being a follower. Now, a person can be really chasing and following nothing, or they can move into being someone who's a fan of something, or they can transition into being a follower of something. But when we start talking about being a follower of Jesus, we're actually having a conversation that is really more about what happens on the field, not in the stands. When we talk about being a fan or a follower of football, we're really talking about the people in the stands. Maybe somebody who gets on the sideline with a sideline pass, but not the people on the field. But when we transition this concept to understanding what it means to be a follower of Jesus, we're really talking about being people who look more like players, not people in the stands. There's a difference between being in the stands and being on the field. And what Jesus invites us into is engaging on the field. And when you and I start to look at our spiritual journey through this lens, we actually begin to understand things that Jesus taught a little better. The, the things he taught start to make more sense to us. Just consider what he said in Matthew chapter 7. He says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers. Now, for me, this is one of those oh snap passages. It's one of those scriptures that are just hard and drive us to really examine ourselves. Because what Jesus is saying back in verse 21, where he goes, look, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But those who do the will of my Father who is in heaven. That's a huge distinction. He's saying, look, only those who get in the game, only those who get on the field, who do the will of the Father, are followers. Those who don't, are fans. 
And fans are those who, who watch and cheer and leave. And God wants followers, not fans. Now, listen, I know, uh, because it's tempting in my own life, to look at a passage of Scripture that's challenging and tough and say, well, that's not for me, that's for somebody else. (laughs) I read it, and that's for that person over there. (laughs) But we can read a Scripture and say, that's not me. But listen, if we don't do the will of the Father, if we don't live as Jesus lived, if we don't love as Jesus loved, then this passage is about us. And we are living just as fans not followers. Wanting to have a relationship with a God who really wants to be pursued more than studied and chased more than accepted. And if we read the whole of Scripture, we see a reoccurring truth that God wants followers and he does not appreciate fans very much. In fact, it was Jesus who at one point he calls out an entire church on this. An entire church. He says they're all fans and that there would be huge implications if they didn't change. He says the entire church is filled with fans, and it was in a location called Laodicea. So if you've got a Bible, I'd love for you to grab it and turn or click to Revelation chapter 3, last book of the Bible. And and this book is written by John, uh, one of the early followers of Jesus, one of the 12 disciples. Uh, John wrote the Gospel of John and a few other books as well, but in Revelation, he is, he's writing directly for Jesus, and he's got a message for seven different churches, all churches that existed in John's day. And in chapter 3, he's writing specifically to three churches. And this provides us some church history, insight to that, but also gives us insight and instruction for ourselves. Because in this chapter, these three churches, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, all have missed something. Something has gotten by them, and and he's writing to call them out. And so for Sardis, they had fallen asleep on the job, and they needed to wake up and repent. For, For Philadelphia, they had little power, but great opportunity, and they needed not to quit. But when we get to the church at Laodicea, they were blind to the to the condition that made them fans. And they needed to change their status from fan to follower. Let's look at what it says in Revelation chapter 3. To the angel of the church in Laodicea, write. These are the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation. I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. (laughs) Okay. This is another one of those alarming passages, just as alarming when Jesus says, away from me, I never knew you, are not all those who call on me and say, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. It's one of those alarming passages, but he's saying directly in this passage, you are just a fan because you're lukewarm, and I'm about done with you. Lukewarm. Now, I don't know about you, but there's very few things in my life that I want to be lukewarm, (laughs) I don't want a lukewarm shower. (laughs) I don't want lukewarm drinks. About the only thing I can think I want lukewarm is when when I have a peel and stick tattoo and I'm going to put it in something before I slap it on my kid's arm. That's about it. Because listen, lukewarm is a bad place to be. It invites the judgment of God in our life because it means we're just fans. 
In fact, it might be more accurate to say that lukewarm is a dangerous place to be. It's dangerous. There are serious implications. But I don't think that's how we readily think of lukewarm. I think we think of hot and cold more as dangerous. Like hot is going to burn me if it's really hot, and cold, really cold, can give me hypothermia. But lukewarm, eh, whatever. <laughs> but no, it is dangerous, spiritually dangerous to be lukewarm. In fact, in his book, Crazy Love, Francis Chan, a guy I respect, he wrote some descriptors, uh, descriptors of what a lukewarm Christian would engage in or how they would look, what things that they would do. And I just want to summarize a few of them, read them to you, and let you just think of if any of these connect to your journey. And maybe you need to have a conversation with the Lord about any of these. Here's what he said. Lukewarm Christians gather as the church fairly regularly, not consistently. They choose what's popular over what is right. They give money as long as it's not overly sacrificial. They don't want to be saved from sin, just saved from the penalty of it. They're moved by stories of people who live radically but don't do it themselves. Rarely do they share their faith with neighbors and friends. They don't want to offend or make things uncomfortable. They gauge morality by comparison. It's not as bad as others. They love Jesus and he's part of their lives, but not all of their life. There's limited access. And they love God, but not with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength because they think that level is not for the average person. It's for the exceptional. And they love others, but do not seek to love them as much as they love themselves. And they will serve God and others, but there are limits to how much sacrifice they will allow as they serve. The list goes on, but are you getting the idea? Lukewarm is a dangerous place to be. It's staying on the surface. It's, it's being a fan, and you get spit out. <laughs> and I don't want that for you, and I don't want that for me. And you may say, oh, me either. <laughs> so now what? <laughs> well, the reality is, it means that we become a sold-out, all-in, die-hard follower of Jesus. But maybe the better question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? And let me tell you, this series is designed to help us know that. So the first thing I want to encourage all of us to do is to stay in the fan to follower journey through this series. Because we're going to be identifying specific steps for how we move from fans to followers. But for today, let's look at a moment where Jesus specifically explained how to follow him. And he did it in Mark chapter 8. So if you've got a Bible, go ahead and grab it. Click and turn with me to Mark chapter 8. And, and, and as he's doing this, he's doing it in conjunction with describing uh, uh, his death. It's actually the first prediction of his death that he gives to his disciples. And so we're going to pick this up, Mark 8, starting at verse 34. So then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you wants to be my what? Oh, no, come on. Wants to be my what? There we go. Follower. You must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. So listen, Jesus, as he says these words, says, look, if you want to follow me, you need to let me lead. You're not going to be the one who drives. Put me in the driver's seat. You're also not going to be able to run away and avoid suffering or difficulty or hardship. 
You need to embrace that stuff, and I will teach you how. Because you need to follow me. And the three things he said that position us to understand that and know that are back in verse 34. Let's look at it again. He said, first, turn from your selfish what? Ways. Take up your what? Cross and follow. Follow Jesus. Those are the three things. Let's just quick break those down for just a moment. The first being that we, t- that we turn from our selfish ways. Literally, he's saying, disown yourself. Deny yourself. He's, he's saying, forget yourself. Lose yourself. All of your own interests. No longer live for yourself. Deny yourself. If we think about it this way, we are so wired to be in tune and understanding ourselves, man. It, it, it's just all-consuming, which is really appropriate when Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, because he's setting a really high bar of love because of how we think about ourselves and love ourselves, even though we can struggle at times. But if, if we are pursuing and chasing nothing, then our life is all about us. If we're not even a fan, let alone a follower, life is all about us. But the more we live into this followership, the more we journey through our life, we're actually positioned to increasingly decrease. Where instead of 100% about us, we are, we are slowly positioning ourselves to be less and less and less as we chase and pursue, hopefully, Jesus. And as we do that, then he increases He becomes more. As we die to self, and the life we live is no longer in us, it is in him, and it becomes 100% about him. That is what it means to be a follower on the field, looking more like a player than somebody who is living for themselves. It means denying self. It's different than self-denial. Self-denial is to say, I'm not going to eat that food item. I'm not going to do that activity for a period of time for a reason. That's self-denial. Denying self is complete surrender. All that we know of who we are to all that we know of him so that it's about him. And this is where we truly begin to live as a follower, turning from our selfish ways. Now, the next thing he says is to take up your cross. Now, that was a perfect imagery to use. Because everybody of that day knew exactly what a cross was. This, this cross right here was made by a friend of mine. And this thing has weight. It's awesome. I love it. I keep it in my prayer closet. It's a visual reminder for me of what my Savior has done for me. But when Jesus said, take up your cross, everybody who heard him knew exactly what he meant. Because a cross meant death. It was execution. It was submission to the Roman Empire. There was no other purpose for a cross than as a means of execution. Now, 2,000 years later, we've sanitized this a bit. But at the time Jesus said, take up the cross, this was not a religious symbol. This was not even a, a symbol of inspiration for our spiritual journey. It was the modern day equivalent of an electric chair or a lethal injection chamber. All it meant was death. Now for us, we understand the symbolism of what Jesus did through his life and his death and how we can have life and death. But at the time, the people understood what Jesus was saying was calling them to a point of death where they no longer live, but he lives in them. After turning from selfish ways, then taking up the cross, it was ultimate submission. 
It was a positioning of, to, of, of willingness to pay all and to live moment by moment following. Because listen, disciples of Jesus, they follow. That's why he ends with follow me. It is not the job of the disciple to guide Jesus or to protect Jesus or to correct Jesus. It's the job of the disciple to follow Jesus. That's why when Jesus started to explain the suffering and death that would be coming in his world and Peter starts to correct Jesus, Jesus rebukes him because it is the job of the follower not to protect or guide or correct, but to follow the one who is master. And the take up the cross is a reflection of that symbol of following him as we submit. It's not just a burden. I think we look at the cross sometimes like it's just carry your burden. No, it means death. It means disown yourself. It means to follow Jesus, to live as he has lived, to, to do as he has done. And he wants to be pursued on the field, not in the stands. He's looking for followers, not fans. And to be that, we have to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him. And Jesus never said, look, if you want to follow me, just, just do whatever you want, take the easy path, and give it a try. No, he said, disown yourself. Disown yourself. Deny yourself. And it's really interesting to me because I love the way C.S. Lewis identifies what Jesus came to do. He said this. He said, Jesus did not come to make bad men good, but to make dead men live. I love that. It captures the reality of what it means to be a follower. It is about life and life to the full. And there's a difference between being a fan and being a follower. And God wants and is looking for followers, not fans. So what? What do we do with this this information and this point of the conversation well fundamentally one of the things that keep us on track as a church to make sure that we're following jesus are things we call our core values we we talk in terms of living loved and living linked and living what sent all three of those are are kind of <laughs> sidelines maybe of keeping us on the field and keeping us in the right direction See, when we, when we live loved, it's out of the love of God that we encounter him and then we can turn around and love others. We may start as fans, but as we encounter God, he transforms us. And he positions us to step into relationship and live linked. And in that linked dynamic, it's iron sharpening iron and we actually develop as followers of Jesus, but that's not the destination. That followership turns into living as he lived, doing what he did, and bringing others into that journey. And quite honestly, fans don't live sent. Followers live sent. And sometimes I think we can put on the jersey and just be a fan, not in a process of becoming more. We put on the jersey of faith, we put on the jersey of Jesus, and we're not growing, we're not pursuing more, we're not seeking more, we're not telling more, we're not participating more. We're more in the stands than we are on the field. Yet true followers of Jesus strive for more. Fans don't. Fans at best show up on Sunday. They watch, they cheer, and they leave. But God is looking for followers. To watch and cheer and leave is not what God intends for his people. He's looking for and calling for more followers, not fans. People who will sacrifice, who will learn, who will take hits. And if you're willing to do what it takes to be a follower, he's waiting. He wants to be caught. 
He wants to do incredible things in you. And it takes us back to those three things that Jesus said. So, so what? First is that we have to turn. You have to deny yourself. In 2 Corinthians, we can read these words. He died for everyone so that those who receive his new life will no longer live for themselves. Instead, they will live for Christ who died and was raised for them. This is that self-denial, setting aside who we are, no longer living for ourselves. This is the point where we say, Jesus, I can't do this thing. I need you in my life. I have messed it up in so many ways. I have fallen. I, I, I have messed up too many things. I need you to, to heal and restore and redeem and make me new. It's that salvation reality. And, and as we offer up our life, he takes our life, and then we take up the cross. So from turning, we move to taking. We take up the cross. It's not just a burden. It is an expression of dying to self. And it's not optional. Here's what Jesus said about it. Luke 14. He said, anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. It's not optional. We can look at that cross and that pain and that suffering and that burden and things that he's asking us to do and the, and the pressure to like, I got to yield all this to you. And we can pull back and think we can figure it out some other way. No, it is not optional. It costs to be in the game. And a fan at the top row of the stadium is very different than a player on the field. Two totally different realities. And it can be tempting to avoid the reality of the field because we prefer comfort over the hits. But to be a follower is not something that it is done through nominal commitment or a half-hearted commitment because lukewarm doesn't cut it. You get spit out. So you have to turn and you have to take and then ultimately follow. Follow. And I, I think many of us think we're following when we're actually just living as fans. And Paul, Paul, the missionary church planner guy, he was one of those people who thought he was a follower and he was a fan. And he went through a transition where he became one of the early followers of Jesus. And this is what he said when he finally got to the point of living as a follower. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's what it means to follow, to turn, to take, and to follow. I think in our culture, following has been so oversimplified, it boils down sometimes to just clicking a like button. And we can follow one person or we can follow hundreds of people and have no relationship with them at all. But what Jesus calls us into when he says, follow me, is something that is very different. It is a life lived in him. And there's a difference between that fan and that follower reality. And Jesus wants you to follow him. And if you find yourself today sitting in the stands as a fan, I want to tell you the good news is that you can change that. You can move from the stands to the field. You can start following him. And it's not in your ability or in your perfection, but it is in him and his power alone if you will receive, if you will turn and you will take up and you will follow. And no matter where you're at today in your spiritual journey, whether you've never stepped into a relationship with God or whether you've done that for years, I think there's a question that we can all consider as we say, what's the next step? And it's simply that what's keeping you from becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus? What's keeping you from being that fully devoted follower, that next step, that next thing 
I think many of us, God wants us to go that extra mile with him in the spiritual journey, but quite honestly, most of us get played out in the first 10 yards. We're like, I'm done. I'm out. Too hard, too painful, too difficult, not what I expected. And we want to quit, and we do quit. Even as a church, I think we can end up being a church that just attracts large crowds of admirers and fans of Jesus and never actually create followers of Jesus. And that would be a tragedy because we would miss our purpose. And it's one reason why we're doing this series. We're passionate about raising up followers of Jesus, not fans of Jesus. So we'll be unpacking some specific steps for how we move in that progression where where he becomes more and we become less and we truly live as followers not just admirers of Christ, but full-fledged disciples of him along the way. It'll take perspective shift. It'll take some value shift. And I know it's hard. I know it's, temp- it's so tempting to get distracted in that. I know that the, the things we bump into can cause us to want to throw in the towel and just quit. But followers of Jesus are always moving forward. They're always going deeper. They're always pressing in, in the game, not in the stands. They follow moment by moment when it's easy or hard, when it's pleasant or painful. They're not fair-weather fans. He wants followers. And I know we have all messed up in this area. We have all been in the stands at some point when we should have been on the field. I have to keep myself continually in check in this area because just like you, uh, my natural inclination is to move towards comfort. It is way more comfortable in the stands than to be on the field. You don't take hits in the stands usually. It's on the field that that happens. And we want comfort more than the reality of what it means to be in the kingdom, which is to move towards conquering which is to move towards the things of God in this life. So here's the thing. Again, I just want to remind you, this is not intended for you to judge what other people are doing. This is designed to help you examine yourself. And if you've been a fan, and you know today that God is asking you to move from that fan reality to follow reality, I want to tell you, you can do it for the first time or as a recommitment. Here's one way to do that, just to have a conversation in prayer. And here's an example of what that might look like. And I'm going to read this prayer in a moment. And I want to encourage you, if you feel like God stirs, stirring you today to say, you know what, no longer be a fan, but be a follower of me. I invite you to pray this as I read through this. And, so, and then you can step into a new reality. So Father, forgive me for just being a fan. Wash me clean of my sin by the blood of Jesus. I place my body, my soul, my spirit, and my entire life into your hands. Lord, from this moment on, I choose to stay fully surrendered to you and follow you all the days of my life. Change me. Take me deeper. Make me a true follower of you. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer... We want to know because there is no football game in the world that is won by one person, but it's a team. And you are not alone. The commitment that Jesus made for us, he gave everything for us and he asks for everything in return. And to follow him is not just to know some facts, but to surrender your entire life. That's where we begin to truly follow. And I wonder if you will follow him. No matter where he leads, no matter what it means, will you follow him? Because when you do, he does more than we can ask or imagine in and through us. And we experience him in ways we never thought possible. And he transforms us and those around us as we begin to be a true follower of Jesus, as we move from fan to follower.
He's inviting you into that today. What's keeping you from doing it? What's keeping you from truly becoming a fully devoted follower of Jesus? Let's pray together as we step back into musical worship. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the opportunity to just gather as your people. And I thank you, Father, that you have not left us just to be fans in the stands. You haven't left us, just, you haven't left us to sit in our mess. You have sent your son, Jesus, to allow us to have relationship with you again, to be made whole, to have life again, to make us as dead, spiritually dead people alive, not just to make us as bad people good. So Father, as we each spend some time reflecting on what's in the way or what's that next step for becoming a truly devoted follower of you, not just a fan, I pray you'd speak, and then I pray we'd have the courage to step in obedience. May you be able to transform us over and over. May you be able to bring glory to yourself as we step from the stands and we step onto the field. By your power alone, Father, may we follow you all the days of our life. I love you. I pray these things in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen.